Let's remain standing and join me in a word of prayer. Father, as we see these children going out, thank you for them. And thank you for what they're going to hear this morning. May their hearts be tender, their minds be receptive, and may they learn things today that will affect their lives when they're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of age. And Lord, as we think about them, we think about the innocence of childhood, we think about how much fun childhood is, and yet we also as we think about their generation, we see dark clouds on the horizon. And we pray, Lord, that you would raise up children from our church and other churches across our land and around our world that will grow up to be strong believers in Jesus, that will know the word, stand for the word, and if necessarily, and necessary, be willing to die for what they believe. Thank you for the part we can have in that. And bless them and bless those leaders who will work with our children. Thank you for them. Raise up more, Lord. And let us always be faithful to be a good example to them. May we always be faithful in our giving so that they will always have what is needed. And may we also be the kind of people who will pray for the upcoming generations those who will outlive and outlast us, for we have no idea what they're going to face. Fortify them and bless them. Father, we have sick people. <clears throat> I know people that have COVID, people who have family members who have COVID, people that are under quarantine because of that. We don't know how this all ends or when it all ends, but we ask you, Father, first of all, Heal and protect them. And then would you, Father, remove this scourge from our land. And I pray, Father, that we would, when it's all over, remember to give you glory and praise for doing that. At the same time, Lord, would you remind us it's not just about COVID. That first of all, it's about your glory and your honor. May we focus on that no matter what. Secondly, we have to minister to people because it's not just this one thing. People are going through all kinds of problems and troubles and trials unrelated to COVID, but COVID complicates it. Help us as a church to be able to help and to address the needs of people, especially for their souls. And Father, we want to pray that you would bless us today that every time we gather, we would gather knowing that you are watching over us and knowing that you're filling our souls. And thank you, Lord, for the privilege and for the freedom that we have to gather. We pray for our nation, preserve our nation, preserve our freedoms, bless our leaders, bring order out of chaos right now. And oh, Lord, is there any way to bring this nation back to unity again? Is there any way of bringing us to where we would have confidence in our government, our institutions? <clears throat> Is there any way, Lord, to where as believers we could be a part of the solution and not be a part of the problem? Help us and show us what to do. And bring peace in our own homes to our own hearts 
And I pray that what we sang earlier would be true of us individually, that it really would be well with our soul. So we bow before you, we worship you, and we honor you, and we submit to you. Feed us now as we look into your word, for it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're in Exodus. We're in the 16th chapter. And I was reading through this, and I thought, here we go again. Go to Exodus chapter 16, and we'll start reading in verse 6. And the reason I thought that, <coughs> pardon me, is because I find myself, don't you, going through some of the same things over and over and over and saying, Lord, do we have to go through this again? Well, that must have been what they were thinking. I mean, they're no sooner out of Egypt than they are by the Red Sea going, oh no, why'd you bring us out here to die? Then they go to the other side and man, they're singing and dancing and everything is great. And then they get to the bitter water. Oh no, what are we going to drink? Did you bring us out here to die? And then they're no sooner out of that than they're in the desert going, oh no, what is there to eat? What did you do? Bring us out here to die? And sarcastic things like were there no graves in Egypt and that kind of thing. And the Lord has brought us out. There would have been better to have died in Egypt. At least we could have died by the crock pots filled with meat and all of that. And so they keep <coughs> going through this, don't they? Over and over and over and over. What are they, dumb? Well, I'd be indicting myself and indicting you. Because we go through the same things over and over and over. Now, occasionally there are those things that it's one and done and it's settled. But most of the time we find ourselves kind of, oh, why did I do that? How many times have you said this? I knew better than to say or think or whatever. And yet we did it. Why? Because we're like them. And we have to go through these things. Why does God take us? Through those things. Well, we're going to look at it this morning from their perspective because that's how it's going to uh, speak to us. So let's go to Exodus and let's go to chapter 16 and look at verse 6. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. Okay, that's weird. They didn't know that? Well, they weren't acting like it, were they? You see, I think intellectually by this point, <clears throat> they could have answered it, but they didn't feel it. They didn't really believe it, and that's why they kept going back to, oh, we're going to die. Oh, it's all over. Oh, why did this happen to us? But at evening, you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. They needed to re-know it, let's say. Verse 7. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Had they not already seen that? Pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night, the Red Sea divided, walking on dry land, the plagues in Egypt. I mean, come on, folks. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord. Why? Because they needed to re-see it. For he hears your complaints against the Lord. How dare you after all he's done for you. Isn't that what you feel? 
How dare you? He hears the complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? We didn't have anything to do with this. Verse 8. Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. You thought you had it well in Egypt? You're going to really see it now. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Boy, that would be good for all of us to remember all the time, wouldn't it? We crow about the sovereignty of God until things don't go our way. Well, when you complain about that, it's actually against the Lord. Verse 9. Then Moses spoke to Aaron. Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. How many times does that have to be said? Verse 10. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, the desert, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. There it is again. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the quail, in other words, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, manna. And you shall know, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Again, didn't they already know that? And you shall know <coughs> that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quail came up at evening, covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need, one omer for each person, according to the number of persons, and let every man take for those who are in his tent. And when I read all of that, I thought, what is it that we're supposed to learn from all of this. And some of the repetitive stuff that they may know that I am the Lord seemed a little bit strange to me. And then the other things, your complaint, your complaint, your complaint, it's against the Lord. You're griping at us, Moses would say, but you're not really complaining against us. The Lord is hearing your complaints. What, a, what an indictment against them 
that kind of carries over into our day too. Are you a complainer? And who are you really complaining against? People or the Lord, the sovereign Lord who is working and who has brought you to this place and the one who is doing all of these things. It's really against the Lord, right? And we forget that so many times. And yet this seems to happen to these people. And Paul says that the things that they did are recorded and they're recorded as a warning to us. So we better learn from it and we better heed the warning. And so as I began to think about this and look at this passage, why did this happen over and over and over and over while they were in this wilderness situation? Well, the thing that came to my mind was, number one, God allows this repetition for the sake of confirmation. Confirmation. Okay, what do I mean by that? Two things that needed to be confirmed. Number one, they needed to know who God was. And it's easy to confess God and to even do it right at one minute and then to completely deny it the rest, uh, the rest of the time by the way that you live and by the way that you think. We can come in here and how many times have we said this? God is sovereign and we amen and we affirm all of that until we get outside of the building, until we get into our regular routine of life and then we act like everything is out of control and we need to be careful of that. God is God and we need to have it confirmed over and over again who he is. And the other thing that needs to be confirmed would be this, we belong to him. We belong to him. And so we would say to the children of Israel, God is God. He's above Pharaoh. He's above your slavery. He's above the desert. He's above the sea. He's above the Egyptians and all of that kind of thing. And you need to understand that. And you need to remember that constantly. There are no other gods before him. And he'll actually start the Ten Commandments off like that. That's what he's trying to get across to them. The second thing is simply this. If God is God and you belong to him, then you don't really have to worry about water to drink or food to eat or defeating your enemies or crossing the sea or getting out of the desert or making it to the land of Canaan. This God who is overall has promised you belong to him and so you're okay. And how does God teach them that? Here's how. He brings them constantly to a point of need. He brings them constantly to something that they can't work out. He brings them constantly into a situation where they go, we're done, it's over, we're toast, there's no way out of this, and then God brings them out. And so in doing so, he confirms that he is God, and he is confirming that they belong to him, and he will not abandon them. I think of Psalm 23. <clears throat> David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now that's something you need to know. Do you know that the Lord is your shepherd? Not just that he is a shepherd, but that he is your shepherd. Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord? Are you born again? Do you know Christ 
as your personal Lord and Savior as the full payment for your sins? Have you trusted him that he's the one that bore the wrath, the anger of God for your sin on the cross and paid for it in full? Have you fully trusted in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Now, if you are, then the Lord is your shepherd. Now, how did David then speak of the Lord being his shepherd? Well, what do you do if you are a shepherd? You take care of your sheep. What do you do if you're a father? You take care of your family. What do you do if you're a mother? You take care of your family. They are yours. You care for them. And so David then says... He leads me beside still waters. He makes me lay down in green pastures, right? He's with me when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He prepares a table before the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. He makes my cup run over. All of those things. David learned who the Lord was and who he is in the Lord by the Lord meeting every one of his needs. So here's what happens. You run out of pasture here. What are we going to eat? And the shepherd says, let's go sheep. And you walk through deserts and through wilderness until you get to more green pastures. And then the sheep eat and they eat to the, to the point where they're so full they can't eat anymore. And so they lay down and they rest and they go, oh, what a good shepherd. What a great shepherd that we have. When they're needing water and there's very little water or the water's stagnant or the water is rushing so hard they can't drink from it. The shepherd takes them to the place where the water is fresh and it's clear and it's cool and the sheep drink and they drink to their full and they go, oh, what a good shepherd that I have. And so in other words, the need creates the opportunity for God to be the supply. And when God is the supply, we learn of his power and we learn of his care. We learn who he is and we learn who we are. We are, as the psalmist said, his people, the sheep of his pasture. This is what Israel is learning in the desert. If they had everything they wanted... They wouldn't learn this, but it's in the points where they don't have what they need. Now, this is a real need, folks, real need. They needed food. The desert wasn't going to provide the food for them. There was no human way possible for them to live. Now, why would a loving God bring them into a situation like that? So he could show them who he was, and he could show them who they are to him. He is God. They are his people. And I think that that's where we're going through now in the United States of America as believers. When we look around and we say, we don't even know who is supposed to be president right now. A lot of controversy over that. But we do know who the king is, Jesus Christ. We may look around and say, what's going to happen politically with the economy, with this virus, with all of the things that are going on? A lot of mixed signals out there. What, what are we going to do? Well, the Lord is bringing through us because we have looked far too long to ourselves and to our own nation instead of looking to God. Maybe God is getting ready to reveal himself in a great and powerful way, maybe the greatest way ever in the history of our nation. Wouldn't that be a good thing? And maybe he is getting ready to convince you and other Christians once and for all. It doesn't matter 
matter who is in the White House, I'm going to take care of you. It doesn't matter what's going on anywhere else in the land. I'm going to take care of you because I am God and you are my people. And God is giving us that confirmation. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are to make our calling and election sure. We are to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith. Don't just take it for granted. Who are you trusting in? Why are you trusting in him? Well, on what basis do you have any reason to believe that you are saved? And does it square up with the word of God? Because God wants you to be secure in that. In fact, the Bible tells us that this is the work of the Holy Spirit because it says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 16, that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children, the sons of God. I want to ask you a question. Do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit that you're a child of God? No, I didn't ask you if you were sprinkled when you were a baby. No, I did not ask you if you were moral. No, I did not ask you if you go to church regularly. No, I did not ask you any of those things. I ask you, do you have the witness of the Holy Spirit in your life? And how does the Spirit witness to us in our life as we walk through the various trials of life that we are promised as we come through to points where we have real and legitimate needs in our life and we say what are we going to do and then God meets those needs does the spirit of God say see that is God working because he is above everything else. He is the source of your supply. He's your master. He's your father. He's your provider. And you are his child. That's why he is taking care of you. So whatever may be going on in the world, whatever may be going in, on in your life, let it be well with your soul. You have a heavenly Father who loves you and he's more powerful than all. He keeps you in his hand and he is the one that is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Can anybody say amen to that? That's where our faith has to be. Not in the things that are passing away, but in God. So this happened over and over to these people in the desert on their way to the promised land so they would know the confirmation who God is and who they are in him. Now secondly, these things happened over and over because <clears throat> they needed to see the glory of God. The glory of God. You know, the definition of sin is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we fall short of the glory of God every day and constantly in our life. In fact, it is in your nature to fall short of the glory of God. It is in your nature to trust in yourself. It is in your nature to trust in other things except for God. Only the work of the Holy Spirit and your new nature would ever cause you to seek after God or give you the ability to do that because Romans 3 says the natural man does not seek after God. God has to seek after him. But once you are saved, you do have that capacity. You are drawn to him. The Spirit of God draws you to the Lord and to walk with him and to honor him and to look to him and to seek him in everything that you do. 
And what happens when you seek the Lord? When you see him, you see his glory. The Bible tells us, uh, when you look back at the first chapter of the book of John, that about Jesus, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, that's a theological statement, and it certainly is true. But it also tells us about him in verse 14, and the Word became flesh, so that's Jesus, his incarnation, we celebrate at Christmas, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, grace and truth, grace and truth. This is what Jesus reveals to us. This is what the children of Israel were learning in the desert. God is a God of truth. He doesn't lie. He always keeps his promises. If he says you're going to Canaan, you are going to Canaan. Nothing is going to stop that. If he says he's going to take care of you, then nothing is going to stop that. They were learning that. He is a God that is full of truth. But he is also a God of grace. Did you notice how many times in the text we read, God has heard your complaints. God has heard your complaint. God has heard your complaint. God has heard your complaint. If he were not a God of grace, you know what he would have done with them? He would have wiped them out. But he's a God that is filled with grace. He loves his children. He wants to see his children through these stages of immaturity and doubt, lack of faith, and not comprehending who God is and what he is doing to bring them step by step to the point to where they will learn the truth that God always keeps his word and that he is gracious enough to put up with your failure, to put up with your sin, to put up with your complaints, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He is leading them into a deeper walk with God, knowing him more and following him more so that they can see his glory. When you're looking out in the desert and you're going, what are we going to eat? Oh, Egypt was so much better than this. You're not seeing much glory. But oh, when you can look out there and you see the pillar of cloud and you know that he leadeth me, oh, blessed thought. When you understand that the Savior is leading you like a shepherd, think of all of the songs you know about that. Think about the testimonies you have heard about that. Think about how many times God has shown his glory in your life. And how does he do it? The same way he confirms you. There's a need that you have. God meets the need that only he can meet. And the joy bells begin to ring in your soul. And for one time in your life, you see the glory of God. And whenever you pray, oh God, glorify yourself in me, you are probably asking for God to lead you to a place where the world cannot fix anything, where you cannot meet your own needs, and only God can, and God will. <clears throat> and you will see the glory of God. Confirmation. That happens in the desert when they have a need. The glory of God comes when they're in the desert, when they have a need that only God can meet and they have to look to him. That is when they see the glory of God. And thirdly, because they needed relief. Let's understand on all of this, God never said in here, ah, you don't need bread. <clears throat> what are you complaining about? Eat sand. 
I mean, of course they couldn't do that. It was legitimate. They needed that. And God is not interested in simply making your life miserable. When you think again about Psalm 23, what is it that the sheep wants? He wants green pastures. Anything wrong with that? No. But sometimes when the pasture is gone here and the green pasture is over here, sometimes you have to go over a mountain to get to the green pasture. Sometimes you have to go through a desert to get to the green pasture. Sometimes the journey is long and hard and miserable and you're weak by the time you get to the green pasture, but you're going to get to the green pasture because God is not interested in your life being nothing but miserable. In fact, Jesus said, the thief comes but to kill steal and destroy and Jesus said but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly he's not interested in you being miserable all the time he is the God who relieves who comforts we might say his own people do you see God as a comforting God do you see you see God as a God who rescues you who delivers you a God who brings relief to your soul and to your heart and even to your circumstances in your life well that is what's happening here they really did need the quail they really did need the manna they really did need the water that Christ would give to them as water from the rock. Just as you have needs in your life as well. And your heavenly father knows what your needs are even before you ask. You know what that means? He knows how he's going to answer before you know what you're going to pray about. He already knows all of those things. Some of you can remember the time when you prayed Oh, dear Lord, send me someone into my life. Send me a mate. Send me a spouse. Well, I'm assuming you didn't marry a newborn. Right? What's your point on that? God had already created someone before you even knew you needed it. When you were walking around as a two-year-old, you weren't saying, Oh, dear Lord, please provide for me a wife somewhere. You didn't do that. Fine. You didn't even know you needed one. And yet God didn't. He had already provided it. And when the time came and you met her, or you met him, and God brought you together, guess what happened? God had been answering your prayer before you even prayed the prayer. Is that fair? And you know what? When you think about some of the things that you have in your life. Oh God, give us this day our daily bread. Some farmers already raised it, has already harvested it, it's already been processed, and it's already on the shelf at neighborhood market before you even prayed that prayer. God was already working. Let me assure you, this God understands everything that you need. And he understands that some battles are just going to make you tougher. Some battles are going to focus you more. Some battles just need to be fought. But it's not a continual thing. He does give you rest. He is the God who gives you comfort. There were times when the apostles would be in jail and an angel would come and let them out of jail. He would relieve them. There were other times when a sword would take their head from their body and their soul would go to heaven. He relieved them. One way or another, God is going to bring you relief. And so you've got to trust in him. He's the God who supplies all of your needs according to his riches in glory. Relief is not something that God 
hates to do. In fact, it says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6 and 7, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. God is going to relieve you of the burden and of the battle. There's coming a day when it's all going to be over. There's coming a day when you are going to leave this earthly body that you have. And I hope you're ready for it because everybody is going to die. Sometimes in this coronavirus, our government acts like we're going to keep you safe. There is no way the government can do that. And we don't want our people dying. Well, everybody, including you, is going to die. Isn't that right? And the thing we need to do is be prepared to die. And that is by trusting Christ as Savior and Lord and living for Him and putting our faith in Him. And the ultimate relief is going to be whenever we hear the shout and the trumpet and we're taken out or when angels gather up around our weakening body and they say to us, it's time for you to go home and you're going to have eternal relief. But it's not just going to heaven as wonderful as that is, aren't there those times when you're under such burden, you don't know how you're going to make it another day. You don't know how your body or your emotions can even take it. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit brings relief and brings peace to your soul. He brings rest to your weary body. He brings somebody into your life. Or he brings a material possession. Or he brings the money that you need. Or the job that you need. Or the medicine that you need. Or whatever it may be. Our God is a God who is not opposed to bringing relief. Cry out to him. Because even in the midst of these complaints. God didn't hold a grudge. God brought them the relief that they needed. But the fourth thing. And this may be the biggest thing of all. God was painting a picture. In verse 13, it uh, begins to talk about the quail coming up. And then it talks about the manna coming. And it would come with the dew in the morning. And it would lay around. And it would be like frost. And the word manna actually means what is it. So every time they came out and they looked at that, somebody said, what is that? And when they named it, they just named it, what is that? How are you going to fix the what is it? How are, we, what are, are you going to gather the what is it? Is literally what they were doing. And it was brought about and it fed them and it sustained them all the way up until they got into the land of Canaan. And uh, there was a, an interchange that takes place in John chapter 6. I want you to think about this. Our fathers, the Jews said, ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. Let that sink in. And a few verses down, Jesus says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. You see, folks, manna was a picture of Jesus Christ. We could probably come up with a hundred different things that would remind us of this. But think about these and we'll close with this. Manna came from heaven just like Jesus did. Jesus didn't originate on earth. He came down from heaven. He didn't just step down from heaven into a manger. He stepped down out of heaven into a virgin's womb. Jesus came like the manna from heaven. Manna was free. They didn't have to work for it or earn it. God provided it. And Jesus is the free gift of God, given for our salvation, given by a loving Father who pays for our sins through the death of Jesus Christ, freely given. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The manna was pure. And Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God. He's not like us. He is pure because he comes from God. He's qualified to be the sacrifice. And manna was individual and personal. You had to have it for yourself. You had to gather it. It had to be gathered for you and for each tent and for each family. And you cannot be saved just simply because grandma was saved. And you don't go to heaven because your grandpa was a godly man. You go to heaven because you personally have tasted of the bread of life. You have trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. And manna is what gave them life. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life in the context of the manna. And so you see, for the child of God back then as well as for us, God puts you through those trials. And when you say, oh, why is this happening again? Here we go again. God is simply confirming to you who he is and who you are in him. God is showing you his glory. He wants you to give you a foretaste of glory divine. You have a need. God supplies the need. You see the glory and the presence of God. God wants to relieve you. He doesn't want you to walk around under a burden all the time. He gives you relief. He gives you peace. He gives you a respite when you need it. He's a God who comforts our souls so that we can say it's well with our soul. And God is giving a picture through the children of Israel. He is showing you and me that just like they gathered the manna, so we can partake of Christ and find life and find salvation in the one that came from heaven and gave himself freely for us so that we could truly live, truly live as children of God. Will you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, we close this out simply by asking you to feed our hungry souls. And we try to feed ourselves. And we feed on so many things, the junk of this world. And we forget what we have in Christ. And we criticize the children of Israel. Why did they complain so much? Why did they have such a hard time getting it? And yet we have to confess we have a hard time as well. Let every child of God be ministered to by this message this morning. And let every lost person come under conviction that they need a Savior. And the only life that they have and the only forgiveness they have 
is through Jesus Christ. And may it all result in Jesus being glorified both now and forever. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Pastor. Just a couple of things. Mission 405, we are meeting tomorrow. We're going to be putting together the sacks for Thanksgiving, so we'll just have our morning session tomorrow. So if you're available for that, please let my wife know. Also, many of you have already participated in providing some of the regular-sized boxes of mac and cheese. You've seen that out in the foyer. We still need some more of those. We need that today. Some of you brought that today. Thank you very much. It's not too late. If you want to drop it back by the church later today, if you haven't had a chance to participate in that, the church building will be open for adult choir from about 3 till 5 o'clock today. I'll have a cart over in the foyer by where we come in by the nursery. You can pull in there, drop it off onto that cart, and we'll make sure it gets down to the pantry. That's going to go into sacks tomorrow, and we'll go out for our Thanksgiving food distribution. Adult choir will meet today in Fellowship Hall. It will be everyone, all parts back in Fellowship Hall at 3.30. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a wonderful afternoon. You're dismissed. <laughs>